you've probably noticed that there are two episode 11s this week, and I made up a very silly reason why this is the case, which you will hear very shortly. But in order to get the full experience of this very silly reason, I hope you'll check out the YouTube site for a visual representation of what this is. The YouTube site is Second Act Actors. Enjoy episode 11. Ah, damn it. Oh, hi there. <laughs> Dr. McMorty from Second Act Actors. I've been working on fixing Trish Rainoni's sacred timeline. You know, the one where her interview has perfect audio and perfect video at the same time. But there's been a Nexus event or a glitch in the Matrix, and now she's got multiple, multiple timelines. She's a multiverse or a parallel universes, mirror existences, planes of existences. I've been able to get you access to two of these. One where the audio is great, but the video is crap. The other where the audio is crap, but the video is great. Which one will you find? So step into this portal here, step through the looking glass, step through the wardrobe, portal gun, and see what you find. Watch out for Morlocks. How many other pop culture references can I make towards multiverses and parallel universes? I'll keep fixing it. The TVA is gonna fire me! Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. My name is Dr. Deanna McMorty and I'm your host, and I was and still am a medical doctor pursuing a career in acting. This is episode number 11. My guest this week is the one, the only, Trish Rainoni. Trish is a cafe owner turned actress, writer, director, producer, comedian, multi-hyphenate, mega-talented human being. She's the star of Pink is In, season two is airing now. She uh, produced the movie that got me my first actor credit. She's one of my favorite human beings on the earth, which is why it pains me so much to say this, but the audio in this episode is so bad. I know, I know, a good surgeon doesn't blame her tools. So I know it's probably my fault, blah, 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 blah. My audio sounds horrible. Trish sounds amazing. There is a mysterious ticking noise that happens throughout the entirety of this interview, which is fitting because I look like Severus Snape in this interview. We recorded this very early in the morning, in the dead of winter. I had just come in from an early morning stat surgery. Trish looks fabulous, as she always does, so I do apologize to her about the horrible lack of energy on my part, because... Anyways, again, the audio sucks. I'm really, really sorry. But the story, again, is still there, and Trish has the coolest story and is making huge waves in this industry, making huge waves up in Northern Ontario. I'm so excited for you to hear her. Please enjoy Trish Rainoni. I'm good. It's so nice to see you. It's awesome to see you. We chat a lot online, so cool to see your yeah. face. Yeah, I know. As in person as we can be. I know. I know. It's awful. And it's funny. I, like, I know I've said this before. You and I have talked in person for about maybe three seconds, 30 seconds. But like, I feel like I, I feel like I know you. <laughs> Once you work with someone on a film, I feel like you're just bonded. So you kind of make these tight-knit family groups, even though you're not like with each other the whole time. Yeah, you're bonded briefly, temporarily. And then you're kind of like, oh, and now we're done. We go away and 
oh, oh, okay, I'm never this character again. Yeah, but ex- ex- yeah. us on the producing side, we saw your face every week since we saw you on set because of the editing process and all the different edits. So I actually probably feel like I've seen you way more than you've seen me. So I'm probably like oddly <laughs> familiar with your face. I was also, when you were saying, I was thinking, I was like, well, I do creep your social media quite often uh, as your life is really cool. Instagram is the highlight reel. <laughs> well, there you go. The rose colored glasses, but hey, I, I like, we like to see the highlight reel. It's like this world needs more highlight reels. That's true. No one wants to see people like sitting slumped over in their hoodie behind their computer. Like I need another coffee. Because that's majority of my life you started telling me briefly about your story and I was like but, 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 say no more I want you on my podcast um so yeah tell me your story how what was your adventure and journey to get into acting and your multi-hyphenate acting producing directing everything Ooh, it's a long one but ultimately I wanted to be an actor from the time I was like 13 I took drama in grade 11 in high school and that made me come out of my shell and then I was like yes it's for sure I definitely do want to do this but then you have society and parents and guidance counselors saying you should be a teacher you'll make this much per year or you have these grades you need to go to university um so I was definitely talked out of it and I went to university so I thought okay if I'm going to go to university I'm going to major in film studies And then I got there, I was 12 hours away from home. I was just, I think, 18. I didn't know anything about film. And in university, it was all studying books. And later we had these mandatory discussions on film. And I knew nothing about it. So I felt like the fool in the class who has nothing to say. And then I speak and I'm like, film for art, thou it, uh, oh, uh, camera angle, uh, wide, Lens ankle found that theme interesting. <laughs> and I leave so embarrassed, just not understanding it. <laughs> I, I dropped out as one does. I quit. Um, because now I'm an adult and I'm allowed to quit things. My mom was one of those people who was like, You can't quit things, you have to stick to them. So I was like, now I'm on my own, I'm quitting. Um, so I moved back home, I took psychology. I started working with kids with autism. That was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, So then I decided that was my career path. And I did that for a few years, then started getting migraines and was stressed out. And then took a beeline into um, owning a cafe, some family members, moving back to the hometown. And then after a year of stressing myself out doing that, I was like, well, they told me not to get into film because I would never make any money. But now I'm working 15 hours a day. And, you know, when you own a business, it's much like producing. You pay everything else, all the bills, all the other employees, and then you can pay yourself last. So I'm like, I didn't make any money for like, well, I made like a basic tiny salary. But I think what I took, we were like, anyways, we were not making a lot of money. And it was a lot of work. So I was like, okay. Now I'm going to go to Toronto and pursue film and do what I wanted to do in the entire first place. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all. So that's why I chose to do Wear All the Hats and, you know, go after writing and acting and producing and directing and all that. Wow. 
was there a was there a moment when you were like in your cafe when you said I am done? Was there something that kind of triggered that? There switch? definitely was. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can say, but there was definitely one of those movie kind of moments where you see this waiter who's sweating and frustrated and you know when you're on the wrong path and it just seems like everything goes wrong and everything's breaking around you you're breaking mentally the place is physically breaking everything's just wrong and you're like why did i say yes to this thing and get into it i thought it was gonna be you know a fabulous opportunity and it's worked out to be maybe like I maybe I didn't realize all the work that's actually involved in this, and it's not my passion to do this. So mm. there was definitely one of those moments where I just had this, but it kind of worked out for me too. I, I'm really weird, and I write in a wish box, or I was. I haven't done it in a while, but I was writing in a wish cool. box. Yeah, I was like, I really want an opportunity to leave this business, but I don't want it to be my decision. I want something to happen that forces it to close and then I can leave and then I will pursue writing, directing, producing, acting. And like within a week, um, something came up and the business was going to change into something different. And mm -hmm. I was given the opportunity to either manage that or say goodbye. So I said goodbye. And then, cause I wasn't really interested in the new changes. I was like, no, this is the perfect out for me. And then an agent um, reached out from Toronto because I had gotten a headshot done. I had put it on a casting platform and an agent reached out and said, we're interested in signing with you. We'd like to meet you. So it's like it all just kind of happened within the week that I finally decided and put it out there. I was like, I want to be done with this. It all just weirdly happened. But you hear about these things, right? You put it into the universe and it happens. But also you kind of wonder if it like you put it into the universe and kind of gave permission for it to happen. Was that terrifying? How, what was, or were you just like, thank God I've been waiting for permission to do this for since I was 13? It was kind of one of those moments where I was like, you know what? I'm so ready. I've lived and I was afraid of living in a bigger city being from a small city. I'd never taken a subway, um, never taken a bus. It's, you know, just a small city. and we get around. I had never taken a bus or a subway and I was literally afraid of the big city. And I had lived in Ottawa. So that was like my warm up, and I survived. Because every day when you come from a small town or like if you come anywhere when you're a fish out of water, every day is an adventure on its own. Just baseline adventure, just trying to get through the day and adjusting to a new uh, situation. So I warmed up by moving to Ottawa, cried the first time I drove on the highway there, going to work the very first day, because <laughs> I was so stressed out by highway driving. <laughs> I didn't drive yeah. highways that big. Um, and then got through that. So that was like my warm up to move to Toronto. So at this point, when, you know, the, the things aligned for me to switch careers, I was late 20s. I was probably 27, I think, or 28, 29 around the time that I that I got into films. So I'd done almost a decade of working with kids with autism and then, you know, attempting this cafe ownership. And then it's like, you know what? 
I'm ready. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to take on Toronto. Were you always kind of in the, like, in the back of your mind, were you always kind of thinking about doing something like that? Like I was, my instinct when you were like, yeah, and I had my headshot, I got headshots done. I put it on a casting platform. Was this kind of little things like, oh, maybe I'll try just a little headshot. Maybe I'll try a little bit of this. It sounds like it was always there, right? Eh? Yeah. And if you try these little things and you get, you get somewhere with them, then it's reinforcing to keep going. You're like, okay, that, I mean, I, I know what it's like to have things blow up in my face. That didn't blow up. So let's keep going. What was it like starting in Toronto? How did that go? Did you have to start from scratch? Cause again, you're not coming from a, a theater school background. You don't have, you don't have a, you don't have your people. You don't have people yet to kind of network. Yeah. I moved there not knowing anyone, not having any family there. Um, going from apartment to apartment downtown with lots of roommates and taking on lots of little part-time jobs. Um, that were the main thing for a job was that it was flexible so that I had time during the day for these auditions that pop up. Um, usually nine to five, the auditions pop up. So that rules out nine to five jobs. Um, so yeah, I definitely had quite a few adventures with part-time jobs, quite a few adventures with roommates, quite a few adventures in different strange apartments. Um, it was, it was fun though. Every day felt like a new start. And I remember being so passionate back then and being so excited every day to wake up and, you know, just figure out how I was going to make rent or figure out, you know, taking new classes. I took a bunch of improv classes or scene study or camera classes and just auditioning classes. So how do I actually audition? So I didn't even know what to do when you walked in the audition room and I learned the hard way um, and had some very embarrassing auditions my first year. I mean, we still have embarrassing ones when it's in person because it's always a little nerve wracking, but some really embarrassing ones the first year. And then I thought, okay, I actually have to take, now that I have done lots of acting classes, I actually need to take a class just on how to audition and what, you know, the best techniques are, where to stand in the room, where to look, do I shake their hands? All those questions. We're, we're so in that class. Did you find things like owning a cafe, entrepreneurship, what did you find you kind of brought into your acting career from the first careers that you had? Do you think you brought anything there, any of those life skills? For producing, definitely. Um, I guess for acting as well, because you are a business and your mm-hmm. acting careers that are your acting services are the product. Um, but definitely for producing, because one great thing I learned from running the cafe was that we had a certain amount of money in our budget um, at the beginning of the year for advertising. So I knew other businesses had that money in their budget for advertising. And um, I've made, you know, web series and, and things where we had to find a lot of our own funding before getting grants. Um, so knowing businesses had money for advertising was really helpful because then like for a lot of my projects we've reached out to businesses and part of the financing is funding from these businesses um so it's kind of like coming up with um a marketing sheet or a, a pitch document about the perks of advertising through web series or films or um tv and then pitching your 
your project to businesses. And then, you know, when you're lucky, they give you dollars and they put their product in your or their location in your in your project. And um, there you go. You have some of your financing and you have a really great partnership. And it usually makes the show a bit more interesting. In a Christmas letter, um, the one of the main picture cars for people who are in film, a picture car is the character's car that they're driving was a sponsorship. So it's really nice to have those sponsorships and those collabs um, and ongoing collabs because you get something for your film, plus they give you some dollars, but then they get advertising, which they're looking to do anyway in a business in creative ways now that local commercials are no longer People are looking to put content on the web, so on your Instagram or in your web series or in your film. And um, yeah, owning a business is really, I think really taught me a lot about partnership and collabs. And I've been doing that since in pretty much every project. The biggest thing I've learned from chatting with people who've done stuff before going into acting or producing or directing is, is the hustle and the hustle leading to networking and the people that you build around you. because if you didn't go to theater school or you didn't start acting when you were five and you've grown up in this business, you don't have that group of people. You don't have that community to reach out to and learn from. So you have to build it. But if you've already had to build something already in your teens, twenties, like you building your cafe and a university degree and everything, you got that hustle down. You're not scared of it and you know how to do it well and professionally. Yeah. It's definitely one of those industries where, you know, especially before COVID times, at least now, you know, it's, I could be wearing pajama pants right now. And so, you know, at least you can do some things online. And back before the pandemic, I look back and I'm like, how can I go out so much? You know, it was always go to some part-time job, go to a writing session with a writing partner, rush off to like your apartment or a cheap store where you can get a quick outfit or you pull an outfit out of your bag, you bike into a park, you change into the nicer outfit in the park, you rush over to this film festival or this networking event. It was a, it was a lot of, a lot of running around a lot. At least now you can do these things on zoom, which yeah, I mean, it's, or on whatever platform, but it's, it's nice, but in some ways it's also, you miss that real human interaction, but this business used to be so much networking in person and yeah, it's a lot because you have to, that's, that was was important and it did help to find, to get to know people and to build a community when I didn't have one moving there. So it was really important to me. A little birdie on the street told me that your role in Pink is In, which if anyone hasn't seen the show, I think I've said this about 50 times this week. It's so funny. It's the such a funny show. And your role, you play Top Dog, the legit Top Dog, was yours. Like since you met met the person, yep, yep, yes, good, good little promo there. Was yours since you met since you met Lisa? She's like the only person I'd ever thought of really? was Trish. Wow! And you guys met working background. We met at a party for a web series I had done, and then we did like I got this. I was bartending. My job wasn't working out. It was one of those another cafe situation where I was struggling. You know, I wasn't getting the tip. I had to give all my managers my tips at the end of every night. And then they'd be like, we're going to count all the tips and we'll give them to you like later. And then I'd get like $20 a week later 
after having really busy nights for a week. And I thought, this is, you know, this isn't right. And I was, I don't know, maybe 33 at the time. And so I'm like a grown, like I'm looking around the, the block. I, I know when someone's, you know, I, I had owned a business. I knew when someone was, you know, kind of messing with me. So the place ended up shutting down. And I think the, it was a very temporary job. It was a job I had for like a month and it was a new place and they were trying to figure out management. And it really wasn't a good work environment. Um, so I just quit. I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't bust my butt for 20 bucks a week. I don't know what I'm going to do. And at the time I did have a writing deal with a network, something in development, but you're not making at that point, I wasn't making money from it. So I had like an option agreement. So I was developing. So I was working, writing all the time. And I'm like, I don't know what other job is going to take me on right now, because I need to be available for all of these writing meetings and, and all these, you know, updates on where you think the show is going. And I have to be available at the, you know, at any given moment to do a call with the network. So I was at this really weird stage where I was like, things feel like they're really on the up for the writing career, producing career, acting career, but then I'm struggling finding up, like trying to pay rent. So it was a very strange place to be in and frustrating for just, yeah, just frustrating to be like, I feel like I'm working hard and I feel like I am successful, but not society-wise successful based on like the fact that I, I still need to have something to pay my rent and I need to try to juggle it all. It was a very confusing time. So I just quit the job and I thought, you know what? I know I have rent. I know I shouldn't be quitting my job that's paying me, but if it's making me miserable, the, the universe will provide and something will come into place when I close down the space for that. And at the time I had been an actor member for, which is for those who aren't in film, a professional actor. It's, it's a union, so you get a certain rate and benefits and all that good stuff. So I had been an actor member for a few years and as a principal actor. And then someone said, well, you know, you're an actor member. You know you can make like up to 600 bucks a day doing background if you go into like major overtime or doing stand-in. And I was like, do you think the casting directors will see me and then not bring me in for roles? You know, the, all of those like insecure stuff. Oh, yeah. Do you think you're the only person they pay attention to? I remember my principal agent being like, um, I just saw you on Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, oh, haha, I needed to pay rent. So I email all the background agents and I say, hi, I'm an actor member. I'm looking to do background or stand in. And one of them got back to me right away. Like, great. Okay. Are you okay with being in a bathing suit? I was like, sure. And it was January and it was freezing like it is right now. And I thought, how did I get myself into this? Why did I say yes? But I'm desperate for money. I went to the fitting at the film studio and I went to the local pool and I asked the lifeguard, can you teach me to swim? Because I'm not a good swimmer. I have an issue with going underwater and I just like get freaked out. So long story short, I get there, it's freezing cold. And I see Lisa and she's there and she says, hi, you know, is that you Trish? And she said, but, but aren't you the star of my roommates in Escort? What are you doing here? <laughs> She'd been at the red carpet gala for the show. 
and I met her there and she was lovely as ever there and lovely to see on that first day of doing, of doing background. And we got to know each other really well. And we just spent, I think it was a 15 hour day. And we spent the whole day just chatting and getting to know each other. I didn't end up having to swim. So that was also a good thing. And then a few, oh, we kept in touch. She um, put me in touch with some part-time jobs as well. And so I, we did some of that like um, reenacting in hospitals, which you might've done as where you have actor patients. So we did some of that together and she's just always been like a huge supporter and really just such a great person and so kind and positive. So, and it, I don't know, it's like one person believes in you and it's amazing what, and you just wonder why, like, how did, because <laughs> usually you do, you know, 300 auditions and they're all a no. And for one person to say, you know, she reached out a few months later and said, hey, I'm developing the show and I have this role for you. It came as a huge surprise too, that it was as the like top, top dog, tough girl, muscly girl, because where she had seen me before, I was a very like, I have a non-confrontational character who giggles a lot and is like very high pitched and nervous all the time. And then she, you know, selected me to be this top dog tough girl. So I thought that was very surprising and very interesting and intriguing because I hadn't played anything like that. So it's a very fun role to play. And what I found from just a, a kind of a general realization and comment is yeah, so much in this industry is about networking, but not in like the negative, like, oh, it's all about who you know, which, yeah, there is part of it. Yeah. But I was surprised when I came into this industry how it's more about who you know. Yeah. Like, if you meet people on set, be nice to them because they're interesting people. Get to know who they are. And then you never know what's going to happen from that, the connections you're going to make, the friends you'll make, and just how much you'll learn. Because you never know, especially I find in Canada, where I think we're, we need to look out for each other because there aren't these incredible opportunities coming left, right, and center. Things like that come down the pipeline at the time when you need it. Like you were saying, you know, you put stuff like that out to the universe, it's going to come back to you tenfold. You know, speaking from personal experience, like meeting you and Rebecca, you know, just all the cool stuff that's kind of tumbled down from that and just people I've met on two seconds on the Christmas letter set of people I keep in touch with, right? You just make genuine friendships and surrounded by creative people. That person who's doing background literally is the future show creator who's going to have three seasons of, or two seasons or multiple seasons of, of a show. So you just, you know, you are surrounded by creative people. Just find your people and, you know, and if someone's going to create a show and they're not a nice person, then cool, have fun with your show, but I don't want to be a part. So it really is just making, just finding people who you resonate with, who you click with, who you want to be around. If it means you're going to end up getting a show picked up for eight seasons, 10 seasons, 12 seasons, like who do you want to be around? And kind of, I think that's what, yeah, it's about who you know in that sense. Everyone is, I think most people do wear, a lot of people wear multiple hats now. So. Yeah, just finding people you really connect with and that you'd actually want to work with for years. Because I know after starting out, say like, oh, I just want to book like a series regular. But what if that was maybe working with people you didn't connect with or that's, that's and that's fine. But mm -hmm. there's just I think you have to realize like you have so much value, too, and you're going to bring so much of your time 
and your energy and your everything to that show. So you as an actor also have so much to give to that. So it's like, be selective, but it's not just about, I need to book a series regular. I need to book all the things. It's like book quality things where you feel valued and where you have enjoy your life. Yeah. Enjoy your life and enjoy the creative part of all of it. Yeah. And I think I love that idea of be with people you want to be with. And I think that permeates not just acting the entertainment industry. It permeates everything. Like I know in, in medicine, we talk about that all the time, right? Like our world is tiny. There aren't that many of us in it. Everyone knows each other. So be a decent human being and be fun to be around and be a good colleague. Yeah. And for some reason, I just, when I started in acting, I, that didn't really like transfer over. It was like, okay, he needs me. Oh God, here you are. What are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. Imposter, imposter, imposter. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is exactly the same. These are the exact, they're people too. They want to be with people who they want to work with. Why would you want to work with someone who's garbage? And that's why you see a lot of directors or producers hiring kind of the same people over and over and you how do I get into that world? I auditioned for their stuff. How come I can't get in there? Well, it's because they know this person, it's just, that person didn't get the job just because they know them. That person got the job because they put in the work as an actor. And mm -hmm. the person, this producer or director knows them and knows what they're capable of as an actor, but also knows that they're a good person to be around all day. All day yeah. Very long day. And there's got to be an element of trust as well, too, right? Especially when you're dealing with money and stuff like that, and, you know, tons of people's time. You got to trust that the person that you're hiring is, one, going to be nice and not garbage, and two, going to be able to do exactly what you, what you want them to do in a timely fashion. How did you get into producing and directing? I guess it came from originally a short film where I wanted to write a story. I had a story in my head. I wanted to, you know, make it a thing. So I think I got maybe one of the like Cell TX or one of those beginner free, or maybe Writers Duet, one of those free um, script software programs. So downloaded that and then just started like outlining the script and kind of figuring out this story and then putting together a team. And I don't think I realized I was producing at the time. I was just like, hey, I have this story and I want to tell it and I want to act in it. And I want to just you can shoot it in my apartment and let's let's make this thing. Um, so I don't even think I realized it was producing at the time. And then once we had, so then I sourced out a team, I messaged my friend, director friend and said, hey, I have this, idea do you want to direct this and then he had lots of ideas for the script and was really into it so then he's like I have a camera and I have this person who could come on board and do these things so it all just kind of came together and then I would go to the editor's house and watch him put it together in the edit suite and once it was edited um and I thought okay how do I I googled how do I put this project in film festivals and then found Film Freeway. Um, for that one, just put up my own money to submit to Film Freeway because it was my first project. I knew nothing about grants or uh, <laughs> partnerships and collabs or, you know, investors. So I then submitted it to all these festivals on Film Freeway, got into a really cool festival. 
my other friends in Toronto had gotten into the same festival with their projects. So then we all went down there together. And then I found when I went to the networking event, we had executives there from ABC, um, all these professionals in the industry, like real professionals. And for me at the time, as an actor who had just transitioned into producing and writing, to tell the story I wanted to tell, I got to meet these executives. And I remember people coming up to me. And when I said I was, I had to say I'm the producer because I was there representing the film as the producer. So I had to, for me, I have imposter syndrome too. So to say those words was weird for me. But I was like, yeah, I'm, they're like, who are you? What do you do? I'm like, well, I produced the film and it's in the festival. And then they're like, oh, you're a producer. And then they started asking about like any other projects I have in the works. And I just found it was, um, that's when I realized like, oh, okay, I am a producer. This is a thing. So it just kind of happened that way and evolved. And then when I came back from that, then I met my next collaborator, co-partner, everything at a party. And she said, I want to do more comedy. I said, I want to do more comedy. And then we're like, let's make a comedy web series together and start writing. And then she put it in our calendar that we meet two days later and start writing. And then, you know, did two seasons of that series as a producer, um, as an actor, as a writer. And it just kind of all snowballs. You just start and then before you know it, you're, yeah, you don't even, like, I don't know. It just kind of. You wake up one day and you're like, even now I ask myself, I'm like, huh, how did all that stuff happen? Like, here I am. I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm a producer. A Christmas letter was on CBC. Yeah, so it's, it's been, I don't know, a whirlwind of a, I think I've been in this business a decade and it's been a whirlwind. And I guess you just, I don't know, you have stories you want to tell and you put in the work and then one day you wake up and you're like, I guess I'm a producer. It's, it's a weird thing. It's, yeah, the imposter syndrome is real. Has there been anything that's really, really surprised you about being in the in the industry since you started? Yes. I went into it very, like, woohoo, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to move to the big city. And I'm just going to book these things. Yeah. And I didn't realize how many auditions it would take to book something that a lot of the mm. things that you do end up booking, even if you have, you feel like you've had good auditions, that doesn't always mean guarantee a job. So you can do your work, your hardest, do great auditions and not ever book, not know why. So I think I'm surprised. I think I was surprised to realize that a lot of the jobs say like King Kazan do come from, which we've done two seasons now. And on season two, I got to co-direct. Do you end up getting through kind of putting your own work out there and showing people what you can do. And if, you know, you create your own content and put it out on your platforms, then that's a way to get a job as well, because then people see your work and, and understand what you can do and they'll hire you. I, I think I thought I was just gonna audition for stuff and book stuff and it was gonna be like easier kind of in a way than it is. And I didn't realize how hard producing is. It's really running a business. There's so much paperwork. There's so many ways you can go about so many different things. There's different ways to raise funding. You know, often people ask me, because I go into work nine to five or 10, more like 10 to six every day, because uh, Rebecca and I, are neither of us like to function before 9 a.m. Um, <laughs> so we do go to work. Like we work at 1A Sisterhood, 
10 to 6 every day. And when we're working on a, when a film's coming out for the month and a half before, we might be there for 11 hours a day. And when we're filming a film, might be sleeping for two hours a day, wearing all the hats and, you know, the catering has fallen through. So now we're the ones picking up all the catering five times a day because of all the union rules for all the meals. And, you know, we couldn't get PAs because people didn't, don't want to work during a pandemic. So we're basically doing the jobs of producers, production assistants, production coordinators, production managers, line producers. Like it's like we're taking marketing. We're taking on all these things, like applying for grants for the next project while we're still have, while we're still filming this one, we have grant deadlines for the next one. So I don't think I realized how much work it was going to be and how stressful it would be. And I don't think anyone does. Cause even now people ask me, you're going to work. Where do you work? Oh, you know, just at that business I co-own. Um, but yeah, I used to see producers on set as an actor and I'd see them like chilling with a cappuccino on like one of those fancy director's chair behind the monitors. And I'd be like, how do I be one of those? What did I do? And I would Google, what does a producer do? Because you, as an actor starting out or as a production assistant, when I, that's when I kind of learned what they do. But even then I didn't understand. Is that how you learned how to do this? Did you just Google and then it's just kind of trial by fire? That's kind of how you do it. You start small, with yeah. a short film, and then you do, you know, a web series and then you do uh, a feature. But it's a, also a lot of like, I don't know, there's no one right way, I think, to learn it. But I did work as a production assistant and probably made a lot of mistakes because I remember always getting in trouble. So they'd be like, you are the production assistant. You don't speak in a meeting. And I'd be like. Oh yeah, okay. But if the director asked an opinion about the story, I'd be or about character or about like, what do you think of this? I'd be like, yeah, I like this one. They'd be like, you're production assistant. What are you doing? And I'd be like, he asked me. You're meant for bigger things, right? And and, and I was like, okay. Um, so probably was like, did not know my place at the time. But also, I don't know. I think that's also silly. Like if someone's a human being and they're in the room and they no scripts because I had already been an actor for a while and, you know, I was writing my own things. And if someone knows scripts and they're in the room, I'm going to ask for their opinion. I'd be happy to have, a you know, if I asked an opinion in a room and I asked the production assistant, I'd be happy. They're not just a production assistant. They might be an independent filmmaker who makes short films on their own. Yeah. have a really great answer. Like just appreciate people as humans in the room. But I did learn a lot of, you know, from either being like on an AD team or being a production assistant on a few different projects. I learned a lot about like watching the producers, what they do. But I think the most important, I think just basically like once I teamed up with Rebecca, we had very, we had very different skill sets that we both brought to the table. Um, me coming in is more of a creative producer and her is like a line producer someone who's very familiar with the grant system with budgets um and and uh with distribution and i learned a lot from teaming up with a partner who knew more than me. i feel like i just like she was my business partner but also a mentor and i learned a lot um from working with her and you know i'm still learning there's still so much to learn but it, yeah, I, I feel like that was a real, all my answers. I feel like I, I end up laughing and I talk too much and they're really long winded, but I really do feel like I was surprised at how much 
how much work it is. People make it look easy on TV. They make it look easy. Even if you, know, you watch a show and you're like, people criticize shows all the time. But you're like, do you know how hard it was for them to get that show even made? The fact that they even got that thing made, I'm like, put on them. Especially in a pandemic. I was saying to my partner who was, I can't remember what he was critiquing. He loves to critique films. But I was like, no, no. I will not critique a single thing that was made during the pandemic because they had the ability to make it during the pandemic. Right. And yeah, I mean, some, some have infinity money. And so they, you should be like those, all those extras should have their masks off because you have an infinity money to tell people to take their masks off. But especially for like small little independent things, like, come on, they made it during the pandemic. The time when everyone was like, give me more content. It's like, but we can't make content because it's a pandemic. People couldn't even see their, you know, aunts or grandmothers or extended family. Then you also have people who wanted to protest on your film sites because um, a lot of people didn't believe that film was meant that it should be essential during the pandemic. Yeah. So we're definitely, it's funny because when we were filming a project, uh, people were saying like, oh, we should go down there and protest. They were writing comments like that on on Facebook saying, we're going to go protest them. They shouldn't be filming during a pandemic. Even though we COVID test every second day, we're in 95 masks, all of that. I get it. But then it's funny when you give them the content, when it's time for the content to put it out there and they consume it. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. So it's very like, I don't know if it's different people and very different polarized views, but you know, you get a lot of, of um, kickback too when you're filming during. I definitely heard that from some people in, you know, in healthcare and stuff like that saying, you know, whoa, you know, you're going to film something. I can't believe they're still running. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we go home from the hospital, there better be some new Netflix content out there. Otherwise I get cranky. Yeah. And how many people are you employing during this time and doing it so safely, safer than a ton of places that I've ever seen? I've never felt more safe. And I work in a hospital at the height of the pandemic. I've never felt more safe than on a film set. Yeah. There's so many rules and there's so many unions involved. And I think that's something people don't realize is that we have unions holding us accountable to following X, Y rules and multiple unions. You know, you have the camera, you know, the, the camera team, their union, you have the actors union, you have the director's union, you have so many different unions saying, okay, here are the pages and pages of rules that you need to follow. Let's see your COVID procedures. Who's your doctor, on-set doctor? We have an on-set doctor, on-set nurses. Um, you know, at the time, COVID tests weren't covered. So, you know, you're spending in a lot of money on PPE, on the COVID tests. Like, there's really so many things to think about. And we do want to make sure that everyone is totally safe. So, you know, we don't have hand sanitizer sponsorships and you have sanitizer everywhere and you have someone who's going around a COVID person who goes around and wipes down surfaces and says put your mask on your mask isn't on correctly you know we had a nurse doing that who took the job very seriously and she was amazing on on a Christmas letter so yeah I think maybe just people don't don't I think if you have never been on a film set you might fun and games and everyone's just having a good time, but it's a very serious procedural environment. I think when it art in general, people forget that it's a business um, because they think of like art being as it, well, it is, you know, a creative passion for people and a 
you know, something you do in your spare time. And, but no, for it's a multi gajillion, bajillion dollar business. And yeah. it's so serious. There's so much more to it, but I totally agree. Yeah. If you've never been on a film set, you would think it's just all fun and games and hair and makeup and play, which yeah, it is, but it's, yeah, it is serious stuff. It is serious, serious stuff. For somebody who's trying to switch from their from their first job or first life into acting, producing, or directing, do you have any advice? I would say start small and start with something you're really passionate about with a good team. So start with people you want to be around, who you have a good energy flow with, and tell a story that is something that comes from your heart and that you feel like your mood to tell and you feel very motivated to tell because then even when the process isn't as fun or you're having a bit of a low time in the process of pre-production production post-production marketing it you have to love the story and you want to stay motivated to tell it and to really push it out there and follow through and go to the film festivals with it and maybe get distribution for it you can do that now for shorts which is really cool so I would say just find a good team and tell a story that you're really passionate about and start small. Start with that and really get it out there and just be proud of it and don't overthink it and put it all over the internet. and Don't be too safe with it and think, oh, I don't want to put it on the internet and spoil it. Because I think if it's your first project and you're trying to make that transition into film, you really want to show people what you can do. So make something for the web, something that you can put out there, that you can share in different networking groups and Take lots of online courses and classes with other people so you can really kind of build your network and have a support system. I got to imagine if you're doing something that you're passionate about and a story that you're passionate about, that's got to just shine right through, right? And like that, that genuine enjoyment of it is just going to shine right through when you're, when you're trying to make something of your own. Do you have a funny, memorable story from being on set? Can I tell a stage one? Yeah. So I decided that I was going to do stand-up a few years ago. because so I was like, you know what? If I'm a comedic actor, I have to be able to do stand-up and I have to be able to deliver like in the moment, on the spot. Brings I like improv, so there's that improv element. But I'm like, that's the ultimate like fear. If I can conquer that, then I'll be more confident in auditions and that sort of thing. The first time I got up, I think I planned like 17 jokes. And then I just got so nervous and I didn't understand like how I didn't time out the jokes. So I ended up telling like one joke and I don't even think I got it out properly. And I said like a bunch of F-bombs, I think because of just like I went into imitation mode and I like flashed back to some comedian I had seen years ago, probably on TV somewhere who just swore every two seconds. So it's like, I just got up there and I didn't imitation. And I just swore a bunch and got through like one joke that just didn't translate well. And it was, it was really embarrassing. It was really bad. And then the um, host of the, host of the show started waving the flashlight. It's like, get off stage. Oh God. Yeah. So that was definitely an embarrassing I think, yeah, stand-up has got it. That is, the I think, the bravest thing any human could do is to put themselves out up on stage in front of other people by themselves and tr and try and make them laugh. That's got to be the most vulnerable position to be put in as a human. Good for you. Is there anything right now, it doesn't have to be related to your work in producing or your acting or anything like that, anything right now that you're just really excited about? 
I'm really excited for summertime. Very excited for summertime. I'm also just kind of excited to see, you know, what this year holds and, and you know, who comes up. If you look back on past years and think about like someone or a couple people that are like really cool that you met in the past years, who are you going to meet this year who's going to be cool? There's just the beginning of a new year. So I feel like there's some cool things to look forward to, like summertime. And also, yeah, just wondering what kind of projects or new people that it will bring into your life. How do you think you're either parents, loved ones, or guardians? How would they describe what you do for a living? Say if someone asks at the party, what does Trish do? I feel like my mom would say, Oh, you know, she works all these hours and then takes over my house. And uh, she, she gets turned down a lot. And, and, and she, you know, she, she's, she's trying, though. She's, she's doing this thing. Sometimes, sometimes they write about her in the paper. I think it's said in the paper that she was in a film festival. Meanwhile, you were the one who started that film festival. <laughs> the founder of the film festival. She asked me this year. It was the second annual festival for the Sioux Film Festival that Rebecca and I and Carrie DePoli run. Um, and uh, Rebecca and I started it last year. We did it in person, even though, you know, it was pandemic time. So we were allowed to have restaurants were open and they were allowed, I think, 20 people capacity or something like that. We were in a rest uh, bar with like a screen on the wall and we were allowed to have 20 guests. Um, and then we held it online as well. And then this year we were allowed to have 30 guests because it was half capacity. And the place, the theater had 70, I think 70 people capacity. So we were we allowed 30 in-person guests max and did the rest online. Um, but we had our whole red carpet set up and our backdrop. So my mom said, Oh, you're doing your film festival again? So that's just online though, right? Like you've never done it in person. I'm like, no, we fully did it for three days in person last year. You didn't come. Uh, so then this year she came to it. So she got to see it in person. Oh. Yeah, and then she doesn't relate things to me um, this face, but my sisters have three sisters. So then they pass on the message. So my sister said, that was really cool. Our mom was proud of you seeing what was like being in that world and seeing what was really going on. So I thought that was really That's awesome. Did you feel validation? Yeah. Oh yeah. And she would also, yeah, I kind of did. Yeah. It was nice to hear, like, it was just nice to have her there and have her see instead of reading about it in the paper or hearing about it from my sisters. It was kind of nice to have her experience something. And now that I am based in my hometown, um, it's nice that she can be involved. Always, as artists, we always see what we haven't done yet, and we know what we still want to accomplish. So, seeing things we have accomplished, you're like, it's not not good enough. Like, I should be doing more. You tell yourself, like, but all these things or all these projects that I want to get going, like, how come I haven't done those yet? So, it's easy to forget what you see, what you've done, and see it because you always want next thing i think in any business we feel our losses so much more than our gains right like that's human nature but also we have to live with ourselves all day every day and so for somebody who has not seen you in a while 
they're seeing like exponential growth from what happened beginning of say 2020. And now they're seeing the beginning of 2021. Well, wait, 2021, 2022, where are we? What time is it? <laughs> they like they it's that it's huge growth, right? Where again, we live with ourselves and we don't see that. We don't yeah. see that at all. Yeah. I want to flip the table and interview you. I would love to hear your story. You have the most interesting one. When you auditioned for us, got your tape, and then the casting director told us you're also a doctor. We were like, who is she? Like, yes, cast her. Also, why did we not know her? Where did she come from? And wait, what? She's a doctor? And then we met you and you're so nice and lovely and so good to get along with on set and just like friendly and professional and delivered, like did a good job with your role, everything. And I'm like, we need to work with Janet again. Rebecca's like, we need to work with Janet. So there are so many times now in conversations where we're like, Janet for so many roles and so many different, you know? That's so kind. It's just that the day I had on set with you guys was just the most fun. And it was just so wonderful to be a part of such a cool project. And I was saying to Michelle, my coach, I was like, I want to be in this movie so freaking bad. Aww. I'm going to send, this is going to be the best GD self-tape I've ever seen. So I mean, this movie so bad. And again, it goes back to exactly what you've been talking about, like building up your your team and your people and you know meeting people like you and meeting people like carly and meeting people like rebecca and just really being fascinated by what you all do and um yeah it's just it's a cool industry it's again what's really surprised me about it all is how um i was expecting it to be kind of more competitive and more kind of uh, yeah, that's the word yeah and it just really i, I mean again I'm sure it is somewhere but i just haven't seen it that's why you, I think you really have to find your good team. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you for um, bearing with me and my severe lack of energy and being so early in the morning. Oh my gosh, you delivered a human life this morning. Talk about like the real life Wonder Woman. Like you literally are running a show. You have your own podcast. You are an actor. You are a doctor. You're always doing things. You're fit. You're like doing stunts. And then you're delivering a human life before doing this podcast. Like I just got out of bed and all I was able to do was put on some red lipstick and a Britney Spears t-shirt and you have delivered human life. Not that we're comparing, but we're like, it's a competition, but I'm just saying, who would have some friendly competition? If this was a game, if it was like, we woke up and we're like, okay, let's play as the game of life. Like you're freaking winning at life. You delivered a human life morning after this i'm gonna go and put my jammies on drink a coffee and curl back into my like blanket cave as you should thank you everyone for tuning in and thank you trish for being my guest this week i don't want to get emotional because trish again is one of my favorite human beings on the planet and we talk a lot but thank you thank you thank you for being a guest on my episode your story is fabulous i'm so excited to see everything that she's doing with 180 sisterhood they are so busy they're producing incredible canadian content please go and support them support the show pink is in we need to support canadian content being made in this country of canada 
rant over. (laughs) I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!